Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital podcast. Welcome. Today's guest is Carrie Freeman, managing partner of Second Muse. Second Muse is an accelerator and economy builder, connecting different stakeholders for a prosperous, equitable future. Carrie and the Second Muse team work on developing ecosystems that strengthen the innovation community by working at the intersection of social issues like diversity, connectivity, and adaptability, as well as markets, policy, culture, etc. Carrie sits at the helm of a team that has accelerated 200 high-impact companies that raised $250 million, created $500 million of market value, and generated $7 billion with a B in positive social impact. Uh, Carrie's background is in engineering and sustainable business. She worked at Intel for 14 years, going from operations manager to director of sustainable business innovation. So let's dive in. Welcome, Carrie. Great to have you. Thank you, and it's great to be here with you. Thanks so much. So let's let's kick it off by asking about when Second Muse first started, what were the founders' original motivations? The founders, and to be clear, I wasn't one of them, but um, the two founders were really looking towards um, the role that business could play in solving some of the most complex challenges in the world. And what they realized was that many of the complex challenges that are present in the world are because different types of system actors have been working in silos, not intentionally doing bad things, but oftentimes working in silos and not working with each other and collaborating with each other to actually address challenges. And so they started with a real strong mission to bring together different, um, different actors all along the different systems to collaborate and then um, address address problems. So do you mean like uh, government, you know, or companies? Both, both. I think one of the, one of the key areas that we started working in um, 10 years ago was in the disaster response space. And as we know, um, and natural disaster primarily, as we know, I mean, we can see it right now in the U.S. in terms of what's happening with different types of hurricanes coming, right? It's, the response that's needed is actually not just from government. It is um, how, are, how are businesses impacted, how, yes, how are citizens impacted, how are these things happening, and more importantly, how do we prepare for them? And so it is really a cross-section of all the different um, public, private citizens, um, all those different types of actors when we're looking at um, these, big, these big challenges that are barreling towards us. Excellent. So we, we know that Second Muse focuses on inclusive economies. Can you talk a little bit more about what an inclusive economy is? Absolutely. So we, we think of it as inclusive and also uh, circular and resilient. And we hear those words a lot, but what that really means to us is when economies formed, and you, know, you can look back a couple hundred years ago, there was oftentimes a different set of assumptions that were placed on these markets. Um, in the case of inclusion, um, we're really thinking about humans. 
um, human inclusion and the value that was placed on human beings a couple hundred years ago and honestly a couple decades ago and we could see it happening right now in different places is that not all humans are valued the same. And therefore, the markets that get created and have been created are not, um, are not doing so with a way that um, humans have equal value. And so when we talk about an inclusive economy, we're saying how do we redefine um, what the economies really look like? How is value placed differently? How are, being, how are we being more um, conscientious and intentional about um, designing out the negative externalities that have been in place with our markets? Um, negative externalities oftentimes were um, overlooked because of knowledge, gaps in knowledge um, that people had or beliefs. And um, we see that with uh, the value of humans, and we also see it with the value of the planet. And so our intent is to really redefine how economies are created and um, doing so in a way that is um, inclusive of all humans. So let's go, let's turn to you a little bit. What were your personal intentions when joining the Second Muse team? Mm-hmm. So I joined um, a little over seven years ago, and I have, since my teenagers, really held very strongly to the belief that business can be used as a force for good. It, it oftentimes is, and it can be even more so, that it doesn't have to be a, a force for good for only shareholders. Um, I guess I, I guess I got enlightened at a pretty early age that there, there could be a much better meaning and purpose for business. And if you look at a lot of businesses, especially in small towns and things, you see that there is a lot of generosity happening in communities and with employees, et cetera. And so when I was looking to do a change in my career outside of Intel, I had started collaborating with Second News a couple years earlier in um, some different areas with regards to the work that they were doing. And they were really looking at the power of innovation and oftentimes the role of um, technological innovation in helping address big solutions. And that's exactly what I was doing at Intel. And um, so I was, I was eager to join them. I, part of it was also that it's a small growing company and um, it's fun to, it's fun to engage and really challenge yourself as an entrepreneur. And so there was also an element of, hey, this is great. Let's actually, let's actually go off and really try to grow the business um, in a way that we believe is possible. How many people were there when you joined? I was number 11. And how many are there now? Um, it really it varies if you look at our entire, uh, our entire pool across the globe, but um, we're over 60 now. Wow. So Second Muse has worked with some big organizations like NASA and Nike. In what ways were those groups working towards a prosperous and equitable future where business was a force for good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously very different to very well-known um, brands, very impressive brands on the high-ranking high ranking lists of brands. And so the case of NASA, it's a bit different because they're a government institution. And I think they, I mean, they, they strongly believe that in terms of things like inclusion, you know, ideas, amazing ideas can come from anywhere. And they do come from anywhere. And I think they really embrace that. But 
it's an important way to think about uh, NASA in terms of circularity. And if you really think about the mission of NASA to advance space research, um, they've got multiple things that they're also doing to the benefit of, of um, you know, on Earth, citizens and on Earth. But if you really look at the mission to advance space, one of the most important things is the area of, of um, creating systems that are closed loop. Um, if you're on a space shuttle, if you're on the International Space Station, if you're on the moon, if you're headed to Mars, whatever it is, those systems, at least initially until we've figured out something else from a scientific perspective, those systems have to be designed in a way that they are circular, meaning the resources are used in the absolute most efficient and closed loop way as possible. So it's an interesting way to think about NASA as really kind of the exemplar of closed loop system design. And so that's one of the things that we started working with them on about 10 years ago, and they were really excited from a sustainability perspective because they have a lot of different um, scientific innovations and just ideas on how to do that, and they've been demonstrating it for decades now. So that's NASA. Um, when we really, I, I will say also that, you know, in terms of thinking about the role of NASA and NASA satellites and the data that they're producing, there's just an absolute wealth of information that NASA um, provides and has been, is able to provide um, really to the globe and us better understanding the Earth as well as space, but um, primarily the Earth in terms of what's happening, what's happening with the uh, what's happening with weather, what's happening with the climate, what's happening to different types of um, landscapes, et cetera. And so. Um, yes, it's part of their government mission, but they also are really thinking about how they can leverage all of their assets um, as an institution for the betterment of um, the betterment of, of the world and, you know, more inclusive and uh, resilient economy. I would say that Nike is, Nike is an organization. They're obviously a for-profit um, organization, very, very powerful. Um, but for many, many years, they've really focused on athletes and how the uh, what is the role of athletes in being very inclusive? And you can just see that in some of the you know the the athletes that they choose to sponsor and promote and uh, really come out with. But um, one of the other areas, and I don't know if it's as well known because it's not always probably as visible as their actual athletes, is um, the real leadership that they provide in terms of their environmental footprint. And they have um, a moonshot goal that came out oh gosh probably five years ago now. For, I think it's in time in the 14-15 time period, that was really looking at how they can double their business um, and have half the environmental impact. That's a really, really, really bold, audacious goal. And for any business that's really trying to understand that, they, they know how hard that is. But I think they're seeing that, one, they have... They, have, they really need to do this because it's really critically important. Um, and because they are such a recognized brand leader across all industries, not just the athletic industry, that they, um, they have the responsibility to help prove out and, and demonstrate what's possible. Um, you know, are there bumps along the way with, like with anything? Absolutely. But I really see that they, um, they do have really strong leadership in this area, and they're working really, really hard to meet those goals. So since your business is a, is a for-profit business, um, like what is the model with Nike? What, what do you do, and how do you, how do you make money in a relationship with Nike? Yeah, definitely. 
So I think in the easiest way, if we're talking just straight up, you know, business models and business um, business lingo, et cetera, we are a fee-for-service business for the most part. Um, we definitely do have other smaller sources of revenue, and we're continuing to expand um, the ways in which we use more creative business models. But um, in a nuts and bolts way to say it, we are fee-for-service, meaning we run large-scale innovation programs. We run different types of programs that people can, you know, single-handedly fund um, year over year or that they can partially fund and become members of. Um, it's, I'd say we're really quite flexible in the way that we think about um, the fee-for-service. So it's not a, we're not just a straight-up consulting firm and you pay us, you know, an hourly rate and we go out the door. Um, so we're flexible in that. But it, at the end of the day, the majority of our revenue comes in a fee-for-service um, type of way. So they say... I. You know, somebody at Nike's got an idea to do a, a, a social innovation project, or they have this moonshot, and then they hire you to and your and your team to come in and help them organize, help them set goals, follow up, that sort of thing. Um, that could be part of it. I think one of the things that we have seen in most large institutions that have these big audacious ideas and uh, possibly goals attached to them realize that. They themselves do not have all of the um, internal knowledge or capacity needed to actually meet these goals, right? And some of it is in the form of, um, of they simply can't, right? Because <laughs> the systems are so complex that it requires a lot of, of um, actors coming to the table. And in other cases, they are just saying, hey, we don't even have the ideas. And so a lot of our work really focuses on um, open innovation and how do you how do you bring together different ideas and surface other ideas for people working on things like green chemistry, for example, right? Um, or um, dyes that are not going to be as harmful to the planet or polyesters that are not um, reaching out little itty-bitty microfibers. And so I would say that it's really more if people are saying, hey, we have these big audacious goals, not only help us come develop the strategy while we say, yeah, we can do that, but I think it is more important to think of like, okay, so what is going to be needed to actually help us meet those goals? Do we need to bring together all the different, um, you know, all the different players that would really touch chemistry, you know, scientists, just scientists um, or other product people. Sure. 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 Yeah. Right. Petroleum company, petroleum companies, innovators, um, <laughs> Um, you know, in some cases, regulators, uh, chemical manufacturers. I mean, those are just examples. Um, but lots of times these things, we've created these economies and they're, they're entrenched, right? The petroleum industry is very entrenched and whether it's looking at it from a, uh, you know, oil and gas or if you're looking at it from a chemical. And so how do you create, how do you create new things? Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what you know, a Nike per se would bring us in, in for. I think the moonshot shows quite strongly that leadership can drive social change. And turning back to Second Muse, the leadership decided to become a B Corporation, which is a new kind of business that balances profit and purpose, which, and the B Corporations are also legally required to consider the impact of their decisions on more than just the bottom line. So for the workers, for the environment, Break down for us, if you can, Carrie, how being a B Corporation helps you meet the, the mission and purpose of your business. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So the company was founded on some really 
strong principles and ethos around the role of business, like I said. And it wasn't that we had started even before I had joined Second News. Um, I've known I've been one of the founders for 25 years now. And I was talking to them about, you know, B Corp as a, as a potential. And this was, gosh, this was eight or nine years ago. And B Corp is pretty new. But in my corporate role at Intel, I was looking at these different, these different things that are happening out there in the world of responsible business. And so it took, it took second news, gosh, it took us another, from the time we were founded, another six years to obtain certification. And I would say that while there's lots of companies that are doing really good things, it's a really stringent certification to get in terms of just, you know, getting everything in line. And so I think the thing that helped us most is having another reference on what we should be doing as a responsible business, as a, you know, as a beneficial business. And yes, while we were doing lots of things, <laughs> well, there's always things that you think, aha, well, we should be doing this or we should be communicating this or monitoring or putting goals to it. So um, I would say it's increased our level of uh, it's increased our level of focus on this in terms of where we need to be headed. Fun we fact, yeah. Fun fact: yeah. my company is actually going through the B Corp certification process right now. And uh-huh. yeah, and I, I agree with you. There were some areas where we were like, oh, like there's a questionnaire super long, and um, you know, and and uh, on so many different dimensions, and and we were like, oh, we don't we don't do that we should do that. And then, you know, you just kind of catalog all these things and it's just like a really comprehensive and good thing. It's, um, it's really interesting. And I couldn't be a stronger advocate, uh, even though beyond capital is set up as a nonprofit, we are also going through the assessment, just taking the assessment. And there's a lot you can learn about running your business in a more impactful way from that. Absolutely. Yeah. I tell people when we talk about it, I'm like, you know, regardless of whether you go for certification it's just a good way, a good guide to running a good business, right? <laughs> it's really simple in my mind. It, it helps you be a better business all the way around. Yeah. So when you're working with companies and stakeholders, how do you look at the success of the programs uh, after they're complete? That's always a tricky one. Um, we have been measuring different types of um, success and impact since our existence. And I will say that every single, every single client, every single project has its own set of success metrics, right? And so some of those, some of those crossover and some of those are, are just really more specific and unique. However, we as a company take on projects that we do think we can have an impact on in terms of um, creating more inclusion, uh, reducing environmental footprint, uh, creating more social capital and social connections in the communities that we're working in so that whenever we leave as kind of this backbone organization, this organizing organization, things continue to thrive like economies do, right? They don't need someone in there propping things up. And so we look at things truly like how do you measure, how do you measure and how do you really think about social capital? Right, there's different types of social capital. There's bridging and bonding, and it's really hard to measure. Um, we think LinkedIn probably has a really good idea of some of that. <laughs> so there are organizations that are truly in the business of networking that um, that look at that. But if you really think about what strengthens um, 
markets, it's relationships and it's relationships um, back and forth and people really supporting each other through trust and transactions. And so in the way in which we measure impact, some of it is, is pretty, pretty basic in terms of numbers that would be used for impact investing measurements, for example, right? We look at the IRIS um, metrics. And then there's other things that we say, what is really important to the way in which we operate in the world um, in creating more, more inclusive? Um, and so we have our own set of measurements as well. Um, and as you know, it's really hard to measure impact. Um, we've learned, we know how to measure success in terms of, of finance and um, looking at business, right? Those are pretty well-known standard metrics. Um, when it comes to measuring impact, it, there's definitely great standards out there and there's great tools, but it's just a little bit of a lesser known, lesser practiced um, approach. Do the companies that you're working with take impact measurement seriously? They do. Um, I think the hard thing is, you know, we work with mostly startups and so, well, almost all startups, it's, it's just, it's time consuming and it can be hard. And so they do take it seriously. They know it's really important. Um, they see it as a, as a really strong and compelling competitive advantage. However, the actual, the actual active measurement is harder. So I'd say everyone takes it seriously, but that translating into having really comprehensive in-depth impact measurement, uh, not, not always the case. Yeah, I always, I, at Beyond Capital, our, our work is, is so impact-focused that I always kind of forget that we end up in the holy grail of impact uh, in the sense of investing in companies that are improving the lives of people living under the poverty line off the bat. Yeah, it's a tough, you know, and sometimes matters of the heart are really hard to measure. Like, how do you feel? Measure that. Yeah, that's well put. Good luck. <laughs> you know, so I think that there's just a certain point where, you know, you want to try to measure as much as you can, but you also don't want to go overboard when you're dealing with matters of the heart um, because you need to measure, sometimes you need to measure those matters with your heart. Right. So Carrie, right. I, I believe very strongly that having meaning and purpose in your work can help fuel a very busy and high-performance lifestyle. And I think, you know, there's a lot of research around waking up happier and healthier when meaning and purpose is a part of one's life. So tell us for you, how does doing good and making money feel to you? <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay, yes, that's right. I, I, I feel very happy. I don't know. That's, that's, I agree with you. Sorry, I'm laughing. It's, I feel like part of this is this has been really my trajectory for such a long time that it's hard to relate back to, oh yeah, well, when wasn't that a focus? Um, even when I was at Intel, Intel um, continually ranked on the top list of, you know, most ethical corporations, um, most responsible corporations. It's obviously not B Corp certified, um, but there's so many good things about it that I would say the majority of my, my work experience has touched on this. Um, obviously, it's much more focused than our itty-bitty company compared to Intel as Second Muse, but to me, it's kind of the only way to do things. Um, I think it would be impossible for me to want to move away from this because it's just so ingrained in me that um, businesses really should be a force for good, that I, I kind of just see it as my way of being. 
That's really inspiring. So looking 10 years into the future, is there a mark that you think Second Muse will leave on the world? Absolutely. Um, so we have some really specific things. One of the areas that we're really, one of the areas that we're focusing on um, primarily in Southeast Asia for right now is ocean plastics. And so we are helping build out a pipeline across Southeast Asia that will deal with, that actually comes up with solutions to deal with ocean plastics. And so that's an example of we actually are working with, we're working with um, Circulate Capital and um, some of the large large funders of Circulate Capital to, to work on that, that uh, pipeline to really reduce the amount of plastics going into the ocean. And so we have, I would say, environmental um, environmental goals attached to that. So I can say, yes, we're really working on these things. Um, some of the projects we're working on are very specifically focused at um, ending systemic racism or increasing uh, gender equality in different economies. So I feel like we have some of those some of those things that we're looking at in the next 10 years and saying, okay, what is the mark we would like to have? But I also think what we would really be proud about in addition to those things is also demonstrating that we can do things differently, right? That that um, we're a successful growing business. We have actually been in the, you know organically growing business for 10 years and we continue to be. And so it's really almost our theory of change in terms of if you, that, that companies can engage in bringing about new, um, more inclusive and, and resilient economies. So I think what we want to just, I think we want to just prove out a point that, hey, this is possible. It's possible we're doing it. Um, and it's still business. I think that's one of the things, uh, about a week ago, I found out that a company that was similar to ours, not completely, but in some of the things that we do, um, was closing shop. And that's a bummer. So I think, I think if we're around and we have grown in 10 years, I will just be also very successful, you know, think that this is a success because um, at the end of the day, we're still in the business world. Yes, we're having impact, we're doing all these things, but we're not a not-for-profit. And to really have a positive impact in the world as a business, you actually have to be a thriving business first, right? You have to be in business. So anyway, that's kind of a long answer, but I... I think of multiple ways in which I'd like to have impact in the world in a decade from now. I think the ocean plastics um, issue is really front and center for me. My my two children, they're now 23 and 21. They were in Indonesia last summer mm-hmm. um, getting their dive master certificates. And, you know, the pictures and stories they talked about plastic there was pretty crazy. Just kind of, you know, it's so prevalent. And, um, and also, you know, related to them... Um, something that I saw on your website, the the Headstream Initiative, which I was hoping to get you to talk about a little bit, um, just to set that up for everybody. Um, you know, Gen Z, which is like younger than millennials, like I think 23 and younger is basically what a Gen Zer is. Um, and you know, I've I've experienced this as a parent. The the um, anxiety of this generation is kind of famous. Uh, people make fun of it, but you know, when you talk to your kids about it, or when I talk to my kids about it. Really, they express it in terms like, you know, it's, you know, they're worried about the state of the planet. They're worried about micro, you know, the oceans dying. They're worried about, you know, climate change and how that may affect, you know, populations all around the world. And it makes them anxious to think about growing up in that world. 
And so I, I saw your Headstream initiative um, for Gen Z and uh, kind of how innovation was being used as a framework for dealing with anxiety and mental health issues for that generation. Are you familiar with that? And if absolutely. so, could you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I was just at this absolutely amazing event um, that was hosted by Artists for Humanity in Boston a few weeks ago when we brought together this uh, diverse set of stakeholders in this area. So it's a perfect example of, of the type of work that we do in terms of convening different types of um, people around this, these issues. And really what we are looking to do to this for this is understand how, how technology can be used and how we can create more positive digital experiences. We know that technology is not going away. Right. And that's okay. That's really the intent of it. And that's the trajectory. But how can, what is the role of technology in helping young people have better experiences in general, have better thoughts, have, you know, have, um, have a way of dealing with some of these concerns that they had, the, you know, the social and emotional concerns. And what we're really looking for in the program is a whole array of different types of innovations. Um, that really do address this and are helping out our next generation of, um, of young people, current and next generation of adults. Um, in terms of things like, hey, if I'm really, really concerned, maybe I, maybe I need to have, maybe there needs to be a website or an app or something that is actually sharing all the positive things that are happening in the world, right? That's just an example. But there are different types of things that we're really thinking about. How can we increase the digital experience because young people are spending a tremendous amount of time on tech, on technology. And so how can we actually use, it's kind of almost technology as a force for good as well, if you will, right? If we're going to keep going down the, the um, kind of the meme of, of business as a force for good, I'll just say it's technology as a force for good too. So how can we create better digital experiences? Um, and yeah, there's, it's, there's so many serious, so many serious um, issues here. And I think what we see is, once again, how could we play a catalytic role in bringing together people who've been so focused on mental health for young people, focused who are people and organizations that are focused on engaging youth in um, digital ways, right? Not necessarily positive digital ways, but digital ways. And how can we how can we increase awareness and really pinpoint areas that um, collectively the group comes together. And then we go out and try to inspire other people. We can come up with some interesting, innovative solutions. And so what, I'm what's, what's the status of that right now? Well, the status is, I know, stay tuned. The status is that we, um, in the next month, will be announcing a an innovation challenge. That is, it's really a broad open innovation challenge. So it's looking for all different types of um, solutions in the space. And um, we will work with these these innovators, um, we're expecting a whole range of different types of innovative solutions, right? It can be everything from, you know, plugins to new types of, or to existing types of apps. It can be new types of things. It can be social connection platforms, or it could be the, hey, here's your positive news for the day. You know, yes, yes, things are, things are not looking so good in the world, but there is good. And so here's some of that. Um, so we're looking for a whole bunch of those. And the, the, um, we'll work with those companies. Some of the companies will be awarded initial uh, prize funding, and then we're also working with different investors 
um, to provide investment capital. So if I wanted to stay tuned for news so, on that, what would be the best way for me to do that? So check out the Headstream webpage. Um, so yeah, or, okay. or, uh, or, or, follow, or follow Headstream or Second News on Twitter. Okay, cool. I'm fascinated by how many different stakeholders are coming together around your work. And I would, you know, just wondering, do you think there's anything in particular that's driving so many different companies, groups, governments, generations to come together in today's world? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, this inherent human, <laughs> the human capability, the human heart, the human head, the, the recognition that we do have collectively a lot of the knowledge and resources to do things better, right? Um, yes, I know there's, there's chaos and there's things that are not, lots of things that are not going on that are so well, but I think a lot of people, especially, especially leaders in different organizations, understand that a lot of the issues that we are facing in the world are actually solvable currently. Um, it takes will, it takes interest, it takes definitely collaboration, but, but we actually can do these things if we choose to. And so I really feel that it's, you know, it's kind of a human capability that we're looking at right now. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's motivating people to, to join in and see how they can, how they can be a part of it. And we, and we give, I think one of the things is we, we try to make it easy and convenient um, to convene people. I think even though people might have this, you know, might fundamentally have this belief and, and want to do things, we're all super, super busy and running, you know, running powerful things and things are hectic. And so unless there's a, a convening in a way, in a facilitated way to engage, it's honestly more challenging. So I think we see ourselves as um, part, part, you know, part, part builders of a new economy and uh, part, part um, kind of hope and inspiration guys as well as uh, master conveners. What, what do you think are some of the key ingredients for master convenings or for, for mastering convenings? I think there, there's so many things. So we, <laughs> so, so many things. We, we do take approaches from, um, we do pr- take approaches from system thinking. We take approaches from um, human-centered design and community-centered design. We take uh, approaches from just effective facilitation. I think some of the things that we really think about is um, creating safe spaces for people to come, create, you know, inviting diverse stakeholders meaning from different, different organizations and different, um, different, you know, parts of the system as well as individually diverse people. Um, and so that's always exciting to people. Um, we really believe in a meet, meet people where they're at, meet groups where they're at, um, but also try to help seek, uh, clarity and strategic clarity and, um, create future potential scenarios in which people could see, Hey, there's, you know, this, this is possible. Um, we rarely try to bring large, initially try to bring large groups of people together around one like unifying vision because it's more about the, the attributes of that, right? What would we like to see? And so I think we, we just know that there's some things that you don't do. Like you're trying to bring together a big group of diverse people right on hand, but there are certain things that we can agree on. And so how do we, how do we understand that? We also really believe that it's important to 
um, see success now and see that change is possible and innovation is possible. And so we specifically, once we understand, once we understand a problem area more like adolescent uh, mental health, and um, we look for specific ways that specific things that can be addressed, you know, in the next, I don't know, 18 to 24 months. It's great to have long-term, you know, the moonshots and the big ideas that are going to take a decade or more. But when you're bringing together a brand new group of people for the first time or the second or third time, you want to get some kind of low-hanging fruits and like get some wins under our belt. And so we look for areas that are ripe um, for innovation in the market um, soon. So yeah, we, I, I guess we kind of have a whole, we have a whole secret sauce that we worked on. <laughs> I'm, it's good to know about, and I'm, I'm actually reading Priya Parker's Art of Gathering at the moment. And mm-hmm. there is a pretty robust strategy for getting a gathering to be most effective, particularly when it comes for, to inspiring change. So yeah. I, I just, I want to say thank you, Carrie, and, and thank you to you and your colleagues at Second Muse for the work that you do and for putting out there that change is possible and that innovation is possible. It was an absolute pleasure to get to know more about your work today. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yes, it's been, it's been great to be on here, and I'm so excited for future podcasts as well. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really informative for me and good luck with all of your initiatives and Headstream and all the other stuff too. Thank you, thank you. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.